0: It will ignite recall so that you can tap into your own life experiences. We don't just hear the knowledge and wisdom gained from our podcast guests. Through powerful story, we can live it. We have a very special episode today in honor of Breast Cancer Awareness Month. We also have two very special guests. First, we have Dr. Michelle Halliard. She was appointed as the Suzanne Hansen Pool Vice Dean of the Mayo Clinic Alex School of Medicine in April of 2013, responsible for the three campus of the Mayo's National Medical School in Minnesota, Arizona, and Florida. In addition, Dr. Halyard serves as the dean of the Arizona campus Mayo Clinic of Medicine. Dr. Halyard earned her BS and MD degree from Howard University, where she also completed her residency in radiation oncology. Dr. Halyard completed her fellowship in radiation oncology at the Mayo School of Graduate Medical Education in Rochester, Minnesota. She became a member of the Department of Radiation Oncology and in 1989 uh, she moved to Arizona. She became a member of the Department of Radiation Oncology, Mayo Clinic in Arizona in 1989 and went on to chair that department. As a professor of radiation oncology at the Mayo Clinic in Arizona, her specialty and expertise and research. Has been in breast cancer. Her primary research areas are in the quality of life data and patient-reported outcomes in cancer clinical practice. Dr. Halliard has developed an expertise regarding the impact of cancer in the African American community. She is the co-founder and current president of the Coalition of Blacks Against Breast Cancer. This organization is dedicated to providing support for breast cancer survivors and their supporters, as well as providing education to the Black community within the Phoenix metropolitan area about breast cancer health, including mammography screening and breast cancer diagnosis, treatment, and survivorship. We also have Miko Vernon. She is a breast cancer survivor. She was diagnosed in 2009. She has been a member of the Coalition of Blacks Against Breast Cancer since 2010. She currently serves as the treasurer for that organization. Welcome, Michelle and Miko. It's so great to have you guys here today. Thank you so much for being here. So this is the part of the show. We, we start off with the big reveal. So tell me, drum roll, please. What is the song that we will be talking about today? We are the world. Amazing. That is the best song. Let me tell you, I did a little research on this song. It came out in 1985, and it was written by Lionel Richie and Michael Jackson. It was produced by Quincy Jones and uh, Michael Omartian. Now, it was to benefit uh, USA for Africa, and it sold 20 million copies. Now, just think about it. In 1985, when we say copies, that means somebody had to physically go to a store and buy a cassette tape or a record, right? So, 20 million copies. It was the eighth best-selling physical single of all time. It's a quadruple platinum. Isn't that amazing? Yes. Yes. Um, and I listened to the fundraising efforts that uh, came out of it. So, in 1985, it grossed 10.8 uh, million. But that's equivalent to $25 million today. One year later, $50 million, uh, which is equivalent to $117 million. So it's it's just amazing to me. And this just goes to show you how, as collectively as a human race, when we all come together for good, it's amazing what we can accomplish. And that's exactly why you guys are here today. I'm, I couldn't be more thrilled to have you both because I know of the work that you're doing and I'm so looking forward to hearing your stories as uh, our audience is excited to hear your stories today. So Michelle, would you like to start us off with how this song, you know, what's, what is your story today? And then a little bit of how it relates to the song. Well, thanks
1: Patricia for having us today. So I picked this song because it really resonated with me related to work that I'm involved with related to breast cancer in black individuals, men and women. So I'm a radiation oncologist specializing in breast cancer treatment at the Mayo Clinic in Arizona. And my journey with breast cancer really began when I was five years old and my mother was diagnosed with early stage breast cancer. Her story with breast cancer had a happy ending in that she died in her 80s when I was well grown, but it really had an impact on me because during that time, we didn't have opportunities to do breast conserving surgery. So in her early 40s, my mother had a radical mastectomy where her breast was removed, the chest wall muscles were removed, the lymph nodes were removed. And I don't think she was ever quite the same after that. It was a terribly disfiguring surgery. And for the rest of her life, she really spent a lot of her time covering up, making sure that the defect in her chest wall wasn't seen. And I think it really took somewhat of an emotional toll on her, although my mother was a very strong professional woman. I remember vividly um, her disappearing for two weeks. At that time, they kept you in the hospital very, very long. And so she had her surgery and she was gone for two weeks. I only got to see her One time during that period of time, I remember vividly when she came home from the hospital and I was so glad to see her. I think somehow subconsciously that took me into the oncology field after I decided to be a physician, even though I swore I was never going to do oncology. And as irony would have it, I gravitated toward breast cancer treatment. So that's my specialty. That's primarily what I do. And I get great satisfaction out of interacting with women, helping them through their breast cancer journey, helping them through their radiation therapy treatments, and watching them survive and thrive. About 10 years ago, it hit me, however, that within the Phoenix metropolitan area, we really had a problem related to breast cancer in Black women and men who also get breast cancer. The mortality or death rate was higher in Blacks as it is across the country for breast cancer, and that includes early-stage breast cancer. And I also had patients saying to me in the Phoenix metropolitan area, we don't see other women that look like us. We don't see other women who are Black in the Phoenix metropolitan area who are survivors of breast cancer that can give us hope. So a colleague of mine and I sat and talked about, well, what can we do about this? And we decided to do some research with the community to say, what do you need related to this question of breast cancer in the black community? And there were two things that came out loudly and clearly. One, they wanted an organization that provided a support network for black breast cancer survivors and their supporters. Their loved ones, their family members, those who are on the journey with them. And they also wanted more education about the importance of screening for breast cancer and credible information regarding treatment. So, what's the diagnostic process like? What's therapy like? What are survivorship needs like? And so, we created something called the Coalition of Blacks Against Breast Cancer, which was a collaborative between the organization that I work for, Mayo Clinic, an organization that I belong to called the Phoenix Chapter of the Lynx Incorporated, which is part of a national organization of African-American women devoted to service. And also, it's the third collaborating organization was called Sigma Pi Phi Fraternity. The Phoenix Chapter is called the Gamma Mu Boule. And so all three of these organizations came together and said, we're going to do something about this. And so we all pooled our resources and created the Coalition of Blacks Against Breast Cancer, which we call CBBC. So CBBC, or the Coalition of Blacks Against Breast Cancer, really came together in 2009. And now, almost 11 years later, we're still growing strong. We have monthly support group meetings where we have anywhere from 10 to 30 or more breast cancer survivors and their supporters that join us. We talk about their struggles, their triumphs. We laugh, we eat, we provide support to each other. We answer questions about treatment. People are sharing their stories, which is our tagline, share your story, and they're helping others to survive and thrive. We also have educational sessions for the second hour of our support group where we bring in cancer experts to talk about various issues of diagnosis, treatment, and survivorship. We also do community outreach where we educate the community about the importance of mammographic screening, and also to try to demystify the whole breast cancer journey should someone be diagnosed. We've actually enlisted the aid of our survivors to actually share their story to show hope, to show that even if you have breast cancer, you can be a survivor, you can thrive, you can conquer the world. So I'm really proud of CBBC and what we've all built. It's it's really taken a, a, a village to build this dream into a vibrant 501c3 organization that we think is doing good work. And our ultimate goal is to decrease the mortality or death rate of breast cancer in the Black community and also to improve the quality of life of the men and women who deal with breast cancer.
0: So that's a bit of my story. That's amazing Michelle. I mean there's just so much in there and I'm just imagining you, you know, as as a young young child, 5 years old and you know seeing and feeling, you know, on a cellular level, maybe not fully understanding at that age what's going on but knowing like on a cellular level something was changing. I'm sure impacted like you said how you ended up as a radiation oncologist specializing uh, in breast cancer and then running a coalition, which is incredible. Michelle, can you help us understand the journey of Black women with breast cancer and highlight some of the unique disparities that they may face?
1: So there are a variety of reasons why the outcomes are different. Um, Part of it is sometimes... uh, black breast cancer patients present at a later stage of disease. So they may not sometimes be able to get their mammograms, or they may not have health care if they discover an abnormality on breast exam or or appearance of their breast. they may not have access to health care to be able to actually get the kind of workup that will lead to early diagnosis. Um, Some of it's biology. So we know that there is a higher percentage of what we call triple negative breast cancer, which is a more aggressive form of breast cancer in African-American women or black women, women of African descent. And that particular type of breast cancer also develops in younger women. So there's a higher percentage of this more aggressive form in women who are under 40. Some of it is really not having the education to know when you should seek medical care. So part of the reason why we go out into the community and educate about breast cancer screening and diagnosis and treatment is to help people know what are the signs of breast cancer? When should I go to the doctor? How do I access medical services if I'm insured or if I'm not insured. So these are all really important parts of what we do because we want to decrease the death rate of breast cancer among Black women and amongst Black men. And yes, men do get breast cancer too. It's only about 1%, whether you're Black or white, it's about 1% or so, but men get breast cancer too. And that's an educational point that we can't forget.
0: I actually read your entire website today and I loved what you said. You said, knowledge is power to improve one's health. And I just, I love that education piece that you bring into the coalition and it's just incredible work and and the support that you bring in to people and, and educating them and then showing examples of, you know, people who have survived and thrived With breast cancer and offering that hope, I mean, what an incredible coalition! I, 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 when I was reading about it today and now hearing your story, I didn't know your story, and to see it all full circle is is pretty incredible. Uh, Well, amazing. Thank you. Question for you: You know, as a youngster, if you imagine yourself as a five-year-old and and you know knowing. Not maybe not knowing fully what's going on. What strengths do you think you gained in that during that time as a youngster that you may have used in your medical career and then also uh, with your coalition and education? So, I think the
1: one strength that I learned was to kind of maybe deal with uncertainty or ambiguity because, as I said, my mother disappeared for two weeks and. Nobody explained to me that she had breast cancer. I wouldn't have even known what that meant, but I knew she was gone and she was in the hospital and it was a scary time. And, you know, I didn't know it in my five-year-old brain, was she coming back? So I think in some ways helped me to be able to function in the face of uncertainty. When we put together this vision for CBBC or the Coalition of Blacks Against Breast Cancer, we weren't certain where it was going. We knew that we had a a vision and we knew that there was a need and we just kept plugging away and still keep plugging away to try to make it better and better for the people that we're serving. So-
0: That's wonderful.
1: Dealing with ambiguity, having resilience, I think those are things that maybe came out of that experience as a young child.
0: Absolutely, yeah, that's amazing, really amazing thank you again, Michelle, for sharing your story today. And I'm going to turn it over to Miko. We have Miko here with us today, who's also in pink, by the way, uh, for our audience, um, you can't see us, but we are all uh, decked out in pink right now. Like, you know, head to toe pink. So, well, maybe zoom head to toe pink. (laughs) So, uh, anyway, so Miko, uh, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity to speak to you and your listeners and give a little bit more insight as to, you know, what it is the Coalition of Blacks Against Breast Cancer CBBC is all about. But not different, much different from Michelle's experiences. I am not only a member of CBBC and I also work for CBBC as the treasurer. I'm also a survivor. Michelle mentioned a little bit earlier that CBBC was actually in, in um, its inception date was about 2009. I actually joined the organization in 2010. So I have almost been there since the very beginning, and um, I'm really proud of that and, and find it to be a great honor. Um, to myself. But if I were to give a little bit of information around my cancer diagnosis, I was actually diagnosed in 2009. Um, one of the crazy things about my story, though, that's not the first time that physicians had actually been made aware that I thought I potentially could have an issue, not understanding what that issue could have been. But I'd say probably in late 2006, 2007, I'd alerted doctors that I felt the lump um, because of my age at that time, and my health, and my fitness level, and, and um, I didn't drink, I didn't smoke. I was given exams, but nothing came back conducive to a cancer diagnosis. So time passed between 2006 and 2009, and I felt as though the lumps that I had experienced or I had felt in self-examinations, I felt that they were growing. I just continually had this nagging feeling that there was something really going on that the doctors were not catching on to, if per se. But we have a tendency to want to trust the doctors. And in addition to that, not to say that do- doctors are untrustworthy, in addition to that, you want to believe that there's nothing going on. So when you're given a diagnosis of your fine, you want to believe that, so you go on and you believe that. But over that time, I continued to have this nagging feeling that it wasn't right. When I would continue to do my self-exams, I felt as though those lumps were changing. So it was at that time that I had gained some information about breast cancer, not knowing a lot about breast cancer, because as many people may or may not know in the African-American community, we don't do a great deal of communicating or sharing stories. And so that's why the tagline of CBBC, share your story is is most definitely extremely important because it tries to break that barrier of the African-American community keeping their health issues, health concerns, health histories private. So not knowing a great deal about breast cancer outside of what you see on TV and what you saw on TV was someone was diagnosed with breast cancer and they died. You didn't hear a lot of the survivorship. So continue to go and get regular follow up because of this lump that I had found, and it was suggested to me to go and get a second opinion. And it was at that time, maybe three years later, after getting a second opinion, I finally got a diagnosis of breast cancer and was able to actually start treating Um, the actual disease. It was a really rough journey, but I had the opportunity to come into contact with CBBC and I started going to meetings. And so one of the great things about CBBC, when you think about those type of support group type meetings, your first thought process is that it's going to be a meeting where everyone is sad, where everyone is crying, and no one really wants to live in that environment. And so I think a lot of people are a little bit resistant to going, but that's not what CDBC is about. As Michelle has mentioned, there's a great deal of sharing that is done within our meetings. However, it is a safe place for survivors to come and learn about breast cancer, learn and and stay um, informed with new changes in the industry or the medical industry or treatments. But one of the biggest things that I find most impactful at CDBC is that it's a safe place for people to discuss. And when I say people, I say that intentionally because we not only have women there, we also have men. So a group of um, individuals out there that are often overlooked are supporters of individuals with breast cancer. So we've had the opportunity to have a great deal of husbands, sons, what have you come in, and, and they have the opportunity to speak on Some of the feelings that they may be experiencing um, as it relates to their family member's diagnosis or as it relates to the care that they're trying to provide that family member. You know, there are a lot of nuances when you think about survivorship. What does that look like? What is that normal, right? So a lot of time we think about an individual going through breast cancer and we think it's all roses once the diagnosis or the treatment is over but it's not, you know, there's trials and tribulations, even in your survivorship. So CBPC gives individuals an opportunity and a place to speak on that safely without judgment. Um, It gives them an opportunity to be vulnerable. It's scary stuff and it's, it's uncharted waters. And so it's really nice to have an environment where there are individuals who not only look like you, but have also gone through experiences that you've gone through can help you maybe like gauge what the future may look like or the fact that we have a Michelle in that group can also say okay you need to do this or this is an option or the doctor is telling you this because of that right they can help to break down some of those barriers of things you aren't understanding or you know something like that so you know CBBC has been really detrimental in the growth that I've had personally over the past 10 years, 10 plus years, because I am a 10 plus year survivor now. Yeah, really awesome. And I'm just really thankful for the opportunity to have had that come into my life during that time. It allowed me to break some barriers I had within myself. It helped to validate my voice. And it also helped to teach me that I need to take an active role in the advocacy of my health. And that's one of the major things that we talk about. You have to be involved in your health health, as much as you possibly can. You have to know what your normal is, because if you don't understand what your normal is, you have a really hard time understanding when something is off. Right, and you have to be able to communicate that information to your doctors. And I think CBBC has done a great job in giving some of those ideas to individuals as to how they can speak with their doctors, or questions that they should ask, or having concerns. The educational part of CBBC is really profound.
0: Wow, Miko, your story is amazing. First of all, to me, I'm looking at you. Look very, very young. I'm just curious as to um, what age you were uh, diagnosed.
2: Um, 37. Well, actually diagnosed 37.
0: 37, but you found the lump three years before that. Yeah, Yeah. so... Yeah. 35, 34. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And that that played into um. the
2: reason as to why I was given a, a better bill of health because of my age at that time and my um my health at that time. I was a triathlete back then. So very active, very sporty, was really living a healthy lifestyle, did not have anyone in my family that had a history of um, breast cancer. So everything about me did not follow the, the stereotypical, what we heard in the media of what a breast cancer patient may be. Another thing is biology had a lot to do with it. Now I know that mammograms, please Michelle, correct me if I'm saying anything incorrectly, but mammograms are also being done with the use of ultrasounds and things of that nature, imaging, and so that gives the medical facilities the opportunity to see the tissue better. So when I was getting testing, I was on they were only using mammograms, right? So now you have ultrasounds and all of MRI, not MRIs, but ultrasounds and all of that. So you know that's a, a good indication or a good reason as to why. My breast cancer, I believe, was not caught as early as it potentially could have been.
0: Well, it's just amazing to me to hear your story about how, you know, you did the self-check and you, you know, found the lump, you went and um, had it seen, and yet you still had that gut, that intuition that just kept telling you to go and, you know, get more information. And how was it that you came to the, to the point where you were like, I need a second opinion? Like, what was it that occurred that you that you knew that you needed, it was time for a second opinion?
2: Unfortunately, with my story, when I initially alerted doctors to so what I found, they examined that, we did the mammogram, but I continued to do self-exams, and I was able to find a second lump. And uh, I believe that that second lump developed after the first. And that second lump from my feelings and my self-examination, I could tell was different than the first. It had arms. So I knew that I was feeling something that was different than what i had been feeling before. And that was what created that drive to push further. And so I actually asked for a biopsy and it wasn't until I asked for the biopsy, they did a needle core that they were able to determine that it was in fact breast cancer. And unfortunately we found out, as I had said a little bit earlier, the second lump was far more aggressive than the first.
0: Okay. Wow. Isn't that, that's just so interesting um, to me. And then how you, you advocated for yourself and that's, and I love that part of your story that you bring up is that, you know, um, is that we do have to be, uh, advocates for ourselves and for our health and the doctors, you know, like Dr. Mich- you know, Michelle, um, you know, amazing researchers. The and can, that
2: you have to continue to push is, you know, you feel as though you're not being heard or you're not getting your message across or, um, you know, one of the things that I could have asked, but not knowing, and, and. You know, how would I know at that age and not having anyone in our life, anyone in my life that had breast cancer? So I'd not seen anyone go through it. I didn't know the questions to ask. The fact that I just happened to get on the internet and decided that I was going to look for other ways of testing and came across the needle biopsy and requested that I have that. So I think, once again, like I said, um, the share your story part of our organization is integral in our community. Because we don't often talk or share our medical disparities with one another, there we're, we tend to be a very private. We, have, we tend to have a very private culture, and that has um, impacted us to our de- detriment. So, one of the things that we push really hard is, you know, just creating a self and safe environment where we can share information and maybe pushing the dialogue or the, the, the needle a little further that people will start having more conversations in their homes. And I think that's exactly what's happening.
0: Wow. Hi. And I love to share your story part um, of your coalition. I mean, that's incredible. And in how, as a culture, you guys are not only, you know, helping with breast cancer, but you're helping on, on a cultural level of both with education and allowing people to shift in their own homes and tell their story and share what's going on so that people can actually help each other, which is incredible.
2: Yes. Understanding the value of knowing that your grandmother had this and, you know, knowing to the degree that she had it would help, you know, the younger generation or other individuals in that family be prepared or ask additional questions or make doctors aware of what their genealogy could potentially contain,
0: right? Absolutely. You know, with strengths, Miko, I'm thinking about (laughs) so much strengths. You have so many strengths. Um, As a strengths-based coach, uh, I would say, uh, listening to your story, it's that, that perseverance, you know, that you have, that drive, and like what Michelle had said earlier about not just surviving, but thriving. And I look at you, and I hear your story, and I, I just see so much of that. And then not willing to take things at um, uh, what's the expression I'm trying to trying to say, but uh, at face, at face, you know, like really diving in, yeah, deep to to what is going on, and just not 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 taking the answer, and just keep keep pushing, you know, Trusting that
2: intuition, trusting that intuition and understanding, you know, the doctors are human. And so we have to do the best that we can to express, this is what I feel. This is what I'm going through. Do you, are you seeing what I'm seeing? And additional, in addition to that, asking follow-up questions, is this the only test that we have? Is the test hundred percent conclusive? Is it, is it the right test for me and my situation? Just continuing to advocate for yourself, as you mentioned a little bit earlier.
0: Yes. The other part that really resonated when, when I heard about how you're supporting those and also in the home that um, like the husbands who ha- and, and the children, the sons, um, not just women in there, you, you're bringing the men in to, to how to help the survivor, right? Or someone who is going through treatment and educating them in and, and that way. And I, you know, I have a friend right now who is getting ready to take, get a checkup. You know, it's she's she's been, you know, it's been uh, two years, but every six months, I think she goes and gets another test. And, you know, there's a lot of anxiety, you know, that she has, you know, uh, when she, of course, you know, uh, before the test. And I think it would be so beneficial to, you know, like, exactly what you guys do is how to help the survivor during that time, how to help um, key tips on how, how to be there to support the person and, and what, they, what their needs are.
2: There's no manual written on what survivorship looks like. It's different for every person. And as you as you so keenly hit on that anxiety as to when another appointment is about to come up, because I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Wiz. Don't nobody, don't nobody tell me no bad news. <laughs> so no <laughs> one wants to hear bad news, right? So you have this anxiety that comes up around the new appointment. But believe it or not, there can be anxiety around a cold, There can be anxiety around any type of new illness that you get as a survivor because your first thought process is the cancer's back, right? Right, So the other thing that's not talked about a great deal is that when a person in a household with a family, whether that's in the household or not, gains a cancer diagnosis, the entire family gains a cancer (laughs) diagnosis. They don't generally go through that alone. And so those individuals are trying to operate in a supportive manner but also they're going through their own range of emotions and their own range of fears. And so we also support, we also create an area where it's safe for them to express those those fears and those doubts without any judgment. We also, not only the supporter, but the survivor as well, go through anger. So it's a safe environment to share stories and compare stories or It's really, it sounds really weird, but normalize the survivorship, Mm -hmm. you know, understanding that that's something that we all go through. That's something that we all battle. It just creates an environment where that vulnerability is accepted. It's welcomed and it's discussed. Yes. And it's challenged and it's championed.
0: Yeah. Challenged and championed. Amazing. Yeah. Miko, your story and and the coalition, I, I mean... You guys are doing such great work. And, you know, my question to you is is now with the stories that you have, and this is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and we're also in the middle of this pandemic, you know, how have things shifted uh, with the coalition uh, since uh, COVID? And then how, given your stories, do you continue to persevere during this time? Um, tell me a little bit about that, Michelle, if you want to start.
1: So we have shifted obviously from in-person support group meetings to virtual. So when COVID first hit and everything shut down in March, uh, we, for our April meeting, it's like, well, I guess we can't meet. And then when it became apparent that this is going on for a while, we, we thought, okay, we can't just suspend after 10 years of meeting every month, we just can't suspend this. So we for all of us who spend endless hours at work on Zoom, we thought, well, let's take this to Zoom. And I must say that in the beginning, I wasn't sure if people were gonna share via Zoom, but we said, let's try it. So we put out our Zoom announcement and said CBBC is back virtually and we get a good 20 people um, every time uh, or more on Zoom. They're sharing. Um, some turn their cameras on. Uh, many do. Some turn them off. We also have our educational session, and we, we are doing that virtually. And we stream our educational sessions to fa- via Facebook Live. So although we may have 20 or so people at a meeting, at times, either synchronously or asynchronously watching, we meet the needs of over five thousand people who are watching our Facebook live streams. Wow. Um, so we have some really good good things, and we're not only talking about cancer treatment, but we're talking about nutrition. We've got a, a trainer that has done an exercise video with us that Miko demonstrated the exercises at different fitness levels, and so he's nice coming and he's done. Uh, he's done a virtual exercise, um, for us. We, you know, we, we carried on. So it's shown us that we can be resilient and we've also been able to, um, have people join us at a distance is people from Florida, from Alabama, from Tucson, you know, so it's, uh, it's been really great. And so our future plans are really to expand CBBC to other parts of the country that may not have organizations like this. And I think um, even when we go back into the uh, in-person environment, hopefully we'll always be able to keep this virtual zoom tie in so that we can meet more people's needs.
0: Absolutely. Wow, that's amazing that you guys have expanded during this time into so many different states than uh your hub which is in Arizona. That's that's incredible. It's, I I almost am thinking, you know, I mean is it possible then to have the coalition in many different states have you that's, know
1: That's our goal. That is our okay. goal. You know, it takes uh you know, as a 501c3 organization, you um, only have so many funds to, to work with. And so we have really, you know, we've, we've kind of uh, made our mark in, in the Phoenix area in the first 10 years. We have still more work to do. But now as we look at the next decade, we really do want to look at expanding nationally if we can. And I think this has given us a good opportunity to figure it out um, and potentially have other in-person chapters in other parts of the country. Yeah, I'm using the model that we've
0: developed, it's proven uh, so much success. Uh, you know, from what I've seen, and and I think donating is key. I mean, this is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and you know, coupled with uh, Black Lives Matter, um, I feel that this is such a great time to donate. I personally uh, donated today. Thank you. And yes, my pleasure. And I encourage you know all of our listeners. Like you know, this is. Such an opportunity where they're educating, they're shifting culture and and donating is really how those five oh one c three how they continue to expand, I believe um really comes down to how much we can give and I encourage all of our listeners, uh, which will at the end we're gonna give that information on exactly how to uh donate, and then you'll also uh see it in the posts as well for you miko uh. Tell us a little bit about how, you know, during this time we are in COVID and how you continue to thrive and use those strengths, those amazing strengths that you gained through your story and, and throughout your life. How do you continue to use them today with COVID and with the coalition?
2: I think one of the major things that I learned while going through my journey, in addition to being a member of CBBC, is I've learned to recognize the resilience that I actually do have. And so as new trials and tribulations come forward, sometimes you have to lean back on the fact that you got through something, take a breath and understand you'll get through this as well. I think the fact that we're not able to meet in person has been a little bit hard, but there is a shift. I think as people, we're becoming a little bit more um, used to using the zoom environment. And so maybe back in March and April, it was um, coupled with a little bit of anxiety of how is this going to work. But I think through the normalcy that we' now feel, With the Zoom environment and um, doing things remotely and electronically, it's become easier. So I don't think there actually has been any huge struggles as it comes to doing this this shift. But one of the great things that it has allowed, as Michelle mentioned a little bit earlier, is that our our outreach is so much more widespread now. We were previously sharing some of the meetings on Facebook as we were having them on Sundays. But now that we're in this this COVID period where we're doing everything electronically, um, we have more and more people from other states that are now logging into the meetings and are actively um, participating. So that's awesome. that's been awesome. So I don't think we've missed any beats during COVID outside of the initial time period, but we're continuing to pick up speed. And such and help more people.
0: Yeah. So it feels as though, you know, you guys have looked at it as an opportunity, an opportunity that, yes, it could have been an obstacle for COVID and during this time, but for you guys, really, it's about the pivoting that people talk about, you know, pivoting and looking at as an opportunity for growth. And here you are, you know, your plan, Michelle, as you said, is to expand into other states and be a national coalition. And, you know, you're on your way. We just need some money. So um, <laughs> this is, um, this is uh, we're going to repeat it twice, but um, tell us, Michelle, the best way to donate. I donated on the website. And what I loved about your website was that it, it started at a dollar, you know? So it's like, how many would you like to, to purchase, you know? And I thought, oh, this is cool. Because really, I'm sure every dollar matters, Right. And so you can go in there and and put whatever amount that you can contribute to the coalition and know uh, the amazing work that's coming out of this program. So um, tell us, uh, Michelle, the best way to get in there.
1: Yes. So you can go onto our website, the Coalition of Blacks Against Breast Cancer. It's cbbcaz.org. And they're right at the top of the page. There's a donate Uh, tab and you hit that and donate away. So we would be grateful for your support to help us with this really important work.
0: Absolutely. And it looks like you're doing some studies out of there as as well. So you're um, taking education and and doing some research um, there.
1: Yes, we are currently doing a study of breast cancer survivors, black breast cancer survivors, and ovarian cancer survivors, as well as their first degree female relatives. So daughters, mothers, sisters, even their nieces. And we're trying to understand the attitudes about genetic screening for breast and ovarian cancer, because there are certain breast and ovarian cancers that are genetically based. So they may be inherited through your familial, your family genes. And so, we're trying to understand the attitudes within the Black community about genetic testing with the goal that as we better understand those attitudes, we can better tailor our education to help people understand the importance of genetic testing to help diagnose whether someone is at risk for developing breast or ovarian cancer. So, we call it the advanced study. Um, We have the information posted on our website. So, if anybody's listening, and wants to participate in the study, there's a contact on that poster or the flyer uh, as well.
0: Very good. And um, I feel that, you know, you, the song that you chose was just so apropos for today. Uh, you know, we are the world and the amazing, and I really believe just as a human race, when we all come together, and I think we can all, you know, agree that, that this needs to happen on, on many levels. We all need to come together. And when we do come together, much like your coalition, Michelle and Miko, how amazing things happen, how, how culture shifts, how people are educated, how lives are saved based on the work that you do. So I just can't thank you enough for being here and, and thank you for, for being there and, and doing this essential work. Well, thank
1: you so much for supporting us. And as the song says, you know, there comes a time when we heed a certain call, when the world must come together as one. There are people dying, and it's time to lend a hand to life, the greatest gift of all. And so that's why the song was selected, because we're coming together. We're, everyone is welcome to help support us. It does not You don't have to be Black to support us. Uh, we all need to come together Because remember, the reason why we really formed this organization is because Black men and women are dying of breast cancer at a higher rate. And we have to do something to change that and to address that health disparity and to also support the survivors that live with breast cancer. So that's our mission. And we hope that you will help support us and that it resonates with you.
0: Yes, well done. Yeah, that's, So much good, guys, and so exciting to see the growth. And I just can't wait until I, you know, 10 years from now, and you guys are in every single state. (laughs) So, this is the part of the show where we talk a little bit about 80s trends. And so, I want to shift a little bit to uh, hear from each of you. And even though, uh, Miko, you know, neither of you look like you could have been alive in the 80s. You both look very, very young. <laughs> but let's talk about our favorite fashion 80s trends. So uh, how about Miko, would you go first for us? 80s trends. And so when I think about 80s trends, because
2: I really like those now, um, weren't you guys wearing penny loafers a lot back then and you actually put a penny in them? Yes, I
0: remember the pe- they put a penny in them. Yes. And you would
2: cuff your jeans and look like someone from happy days.
0: <laughs> That's right. Is that was it called cinching or is that was that with the waist? Um trying to remember. <laughs> That's great. Yes. Acid wash jeans, you and know. Acid
2: wash jeans. Shoulder pads. Yes. Shoulder pads. Yeah. Yes. Big yeah. hair with hairspray.
0: Yeah, lots of hairspray. The the bigger the in hair. The
2: so there were a lot of jerry curls then. Michael Jackson had one. Yes.
0: Yeah. What else? Yeah.
2: Hair crimping to make waves in your hair. All those things. Wasn't yeah. that when those dolls, the Cabbage Patch dolls?
0: Yeah, that was 80s for sure. Yeah, I remember that. And then they had Garbage Pail Kids too.
2: I was about to say that, but I didn't know how you guys felt about candy. <laughs> we had the Garbage Pail Kids. <laughs>
0: yeah there's so many fun things from the 80s you guys well i just i want to hear right now just how we can get a hold of you guys one more time to donate and then also um for your facebook i understand you have a facebook live group and um i think it would be great uh for everyone out there to hear hear about that as well so michelle would you like to take it away on how to find you guys
1: So look up uh, Coalition of Blacks Against Breast Cancer. Again, our website is CBBCAZ.org. We uh, meet the third Sunday of every month. And so for anybody that might be interested in joining our education session, uh, our support group, which is closed, uh, as it's a Zoom meeting. and, And if someone would like to join that, they certainly could. If you're interested in the education session, it's from 4 to 5 p.m. Arizona time, uh, and that you can pick up on Facebook Live. Um, If there are survivors that would like to join our group, take advantage of this, um, you can certainly leave us a message on our website, again, cbbcaz.org, and we will add you to our distribution website or or our distribution list, I should say. So we're happy to uh, engage more folks.
0: Very good. Well, uh, thank you both, Miko, for taking the time. And Michelle, thank you for being here today. And guys, let's all donate. uh, Every little bit counts. Let's do it today.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We want to hear from you. First of all, Tell us how these totally rad stories have inspired you. If you have a story with an 80 song inspiration, we wanna hear it. You think this podcast is like totally tubular? Well, we would love your review. Stay connected with us on Podopolo and download the app today. Visit me at www.patriciafreiberg.com. Thank you and we look forward to a double boost of inspiration next Motivational Music Monday.